Hello and welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm Ryan Rhodes. On today's episode, rain manifesting inside the church revealed more than just God's glory. Swimming with sharks, hanging with Disney characters, and preaching the gospel in unlikely places. And can the story of Daniel give us insight in how to walk out our beliefs today? Bill has been a pastor for over 25 years. He grew up on the missions field, traveling all over the world and seeing thousands impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bill and his wife, Tracy, currently travel, speaking in conferences and churches around the world. In addition, he is the host of the Reckless Grace podcast, author of the book Reckless Grace, co-author with his wife, Tracy, of The Four People You Marry, and creator of the Quantum Preaching Masterclass. Bill Vanderbush has been such a great friend to my wife and I. I'm excited for you guys to hear some more of his crazy stories and the wisdom that he has. There's things that he said that uh, I've just never heard anybody else say before. Things that he's drawn out of scripture, um, gems that are hidden within scripture that he's pointed out. It's like hidden in plain sight, it feels like. Um, but that's just the beauty of, of how he, he approaches the Bible. This is part two of that conversation, so if you missed part one, you'll you'll want to jump back to episode 36, which is part one of the conversation with Bill Vanderbush. I also want to take this as a chance to thank all of those who currently support the podcast, who uh, support through prayer, uh, support financially, support through sharing uh, the podcast and uh, leaving reviews, that sort of thing. Um, you guys are helping grow this podcast in, in ways that honestly feel supernatural to me uh, because we don't do any uh, any hard marketing. Everything is just organic, um, word of mouth, that sort of thing. So thank you so much. And if this podcast has impacted you uh, in any way, shape, or form, would you consider supporting the podcast through a donation? You can do that by going to firemovement.com. There you can select a one-time or even a monthly gift. Uh, however you see fit. And please let us know how this is impacting you. Share testimonies with us. Update us on what God is doing in your life because we'd love to hear how this podcast is is impacting the world. Um, so we are going to jump into this conversation with Bill Vanderbush after a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet, Religion is not okay with Jesus, the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world, are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if you'll, if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you. This is the Fire Podcast. 
Okay, so at the at the end of our last episode, I mentioned um, just how you you have this ability, uh, this anointing, really that that rests on your life, that you're able to um, be all things, to all men, as as Paul would say. Like you, you've just you're able to morph and and become somebody who can fit into different environments uh, really easily, but fully be yourself, never completely fit in, and and set somehow still be accepted and still be heard and, and be influential, be impactful in those environments. Um, and, and so there's just random examples of that, just the weird favor. And I, I also thought about, uh, just some of the weird things you've done. Like you were, was it national geographic? You were an underwater shark videographer or something. Underwater videographer. And we contracted with a lot of different places, but yeah, it was, it was, a that was in Maui. That was a, that was a fun season. Little, little danger, a little bit of a danger. Yeah, yeah. And this is just like the kind of stuff. And then you didn't you swim in the aquarium at, is it at Epcot? Epcot, yeah. They have the second largest aquarium in the United States and tons of sharks. And that's, it's fun. That's a, yeah, you used to be able to uh, sign a waiver and then jump in with a tank and swim around, you know, which, of course, all these people watching you, you could, you know, get eaten at any moment. But, uh, those are those are some of the most docile, you know, happy, well-fed sharks on on Earth. So, you know, the the danger level is super low there. I never actually had any fear fear of sharks. That was not a not ever a fear for me. Um, doesn't mean that I go into murky water in in Florida because the sharks in Florida are crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The ocean. I like the ocean, but I want to stay on a boat. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's well, something yeah, else. I don't like open ocean. Don't like open ocean diving. That's that's rough. Um, that's a little scary, and uh, and I don't do murky water. I don't go near a freshwater stream. The mouth of a freshwater stream. That's where sharks hang out. And I don't go at dawn or dusk. That's feeding time. So as long as you know those things, you're usually pretty fine. But yeah, yeah. There, there, there's there's everybody's shark attack uh, handbook to not get eaten when you go into the ocean. <laughs> So, so then tell them about you being at Sandra Bullock's house, actress. That's a weird story. I was um, at a guy uh, who's a dear friend and he was a commercial, uh, had a commercial cleaning business and he got the bid to clean Sandra's house when she uh, moved to Austin. And so he took me on a tour of it. And um, through a weird series of circumstances, I found myself with a job I didn't want and I didn't need. But I was uh, ended up leading a cleaning crew, and so I worked. I worked for Sandra for about six months, and uh, yeah, my first and the story that everybody likes is is the one where I first, very first time she and I ever met was um, she's walking down the main hallway toward me, and the rule was you don't talk to her unless she talks to you. And I had a watering pot; I was watering plants because this was the extent of my ability, my skill set when it came to running this crew, um, and. Uh, uh, I turn to the nearest plant. I start watering it, and she stops and looks at me and says, "You do realize that's a fake plant, right?" Like I was the <laughs> biggest idiot on earth, and it's true. I was standing there watering a fake plant, and so the next phrase she goes, "You don't do this for a living, do you?" And I went, "No." And I just spilled everything to her. I'm a pastor, and my friend brought me out here to take a tour of the house, and then I found myself with a job. I don't need this. I want it? But she's like. Fine, I won't blow your cover, but you have to lift heavy things for me. So from that point on, when she was moving something in, I had to go and lift it out of the Escalade. 
awesome. That was a fun. That was a fun time. She was very, very kind, very sweet. I'll tell you a fun story about that though. It was it was um, around Christmas time. You know, what do you get for Sandra Bullock? I mean, she's got more money than I've probably ever seen in my lifetime, right? So, so I bought uh, I bought her a CD of Rich Mullins' A Liturgy Legacy and a Ragamuffin Band, and I bought a copy of the Rich Mullins book, the autobiography, um, an arrow pointing to heaven about his life. Right. And, uh, he had had just a profound impact on my faith at the time. So she had just had the sound system installed, of course, long before MP3s, everything, the, the highest technology we had at the time was, uh, was CDs. And so she had just had this sound system installed where, you know, had different zones in it, but you could turn speakers on all over the house, all over the yard. And this house is like crazy huge. And so to get put the, there, was, she didn't have a CD on site. She's like, this is the only CD we've got. Oh, this is great. This is a CD. Bops it open and puts it in. And for a whole weekend, Rich Mullins, uh, Liturgy Legacy and Ragamuffin Band, which is straight, pure gospel, was playing all over Sandra's compound. And she didn't take that CD out for a few days. It, I just thought it was amazing. It was so cool that she just let it play and let it play. And and she she seemed to love it. So she was very grateful for that. That's a part of the story I don't think I've ever told. Not many people know that part. Yeah. That's really cool. Man. So th- you know, this just speaks to the fact that you just find yourself in the, these situations that it's like, why why how did you end up there why why did you end up there but you've got yeah, story after story like that <laughs> that is our life it's really weird <laughs> it, we it really is spontaneously we live we live with the sense of um you know that, that god can god can show up and interrupt things at any moment in time i live with a very open hand when it comes to our our direction you know and maybe, I think that's kind of that's kind of where we are right now. Certainty has never been an idol for me, mm-hmm. and I realize though that it is a big deal, you know, in the United States of America that that we we have an idol called certainty. It's like if I can set up my next five years, I can have a plan. You know, I have everything set out. We know how many kids we're going to have. We know we're going to live. We know how we're going to make the money. It feels really responsible, and I I don't want to attack the responsibility factor, but I mean the idea is when it becomes an idol then it shuts down our ability to say yes to the voice of the Lord. So anything that hinders our ability to, to surrender to the voice of the Lord can become an idol in our lives. I'm like, hey, make all the plans you want, but hold them really loosely. Because, um, and, and I think one of the things that's happened in this last couple of years is the idol of our certainty has come crashing down. So right now, more people are open to saying yes to the voice of the Lord because you know, either they've lost everything or they're just uncertain about the future. And now they're just kind of holding everything really loose. And so um, I think it was Charles Penny that said uh, he defined revival as, you know, kind of looking around a region, asking how many people are willing and able to say yes to Jesus at any given time. I look around the nation and I go, we're definitely in a place of, of more ability to say yes so as we preach the gospel, I think hearts are more open, be willing. So I think we're on the edge of, of something really quite remarkable. Hmm. Yeah, that's so. a good point. Because our, our idol or, or God of certainty is one, one thing that was challenged. So once that's, once that's out the window, there's no hope. And then, then our idol, you know, was science and that's changing daily. And so it's like that you can't, you can't hope in news, like even the prophets, like all the things that we've wanted to make idols out of have all fallen apart. And it's like, okay, are we going to say yes 
to Jesus and and trust him or are we going to be hopeless and depressed and <laughs> you know just hold on and try to get by so <laughs> yeah no i i 100% agree there's there's no certainty there's no certainty left but the reality is is always been an illusion you know that's true certainty has always been an illusion we just we just didn't know it until now mm it's really good and that's what churches around the world understand that we don't understand in the West right. because we've built really great structures that allow us to control things. Right. Yeah. And in, in cultures where, you know, you could get you could get arrested and killed for your faith this week. Every every worship gathering becomes precious. Hmm. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't upset about the whole church closure bit. I don't think that's. It, it, that didn't that didn't freak me out so bad. I thought it was a nice simulation for us, you know, to base, basically get a small taste of what some some nations inflict upon their people a hundred times worse, consistently, you yeah. know. So, I, I don't think we're under tyranny yet. <laughs> I think yeah. I think we're facing inconvenience. I think we got a long way to go before we hit tyranny. You know, I've sat down with people. I've sat down at tables with people. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm the only person at this table that hasn't been beaten for the gospel, you know. So, you know, I I, I don't I don't play the tyranny card, you know, with, you know, uh, on social media or anything, you know, because I know that there's people in, in countries that are, you know, that have had limbs lopped off for the gospel. And if you know, if they look at me and I'm I'm pitching a fit because you know, I'm being inconvenienced, you know, or my rights are being infringed on, they're gonna look at me and go. Oh my goodness! This poor guy didn't know what he's talking about. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll never forget being in Mexico and David. David let me and like I think a couple other men that were there come with him to one of his meetings with the. He has like I believe it's nine elders. I have a picture in my phone somewhere, but it's all these old little um, Aztecos. They're Aztecs. They're they're not even like typical Mexicans like you would think of. They're um, natives, and. Uh, tiny little frail looking men and he comes over to me and gets in my face as only david hogan can and uh nose to nose with me and uh he said he said these men are responsible for over 300 dead raisings and the gospel being spread throughout mexico and he said he said isn't ironic that you're the guest of honor here and (laughs) wow that's humbling yeah, and it, it was it's like seeing with these guys. It's like I, you know, I in the kingdom perspective, they've done more than I, I, I probably ever could in my lifetime, just because the yes that they've said and the things that they face. And all, I believe every single one of them, except for maybe one, had been raised from the dead. They had already died at some point, and and my typically God. when you die, it's not pleasant. <laughs> I haven't right. experienced it, but from from my understanding, uh, most of the time it's not pleasant. Um, but yeah, it's just incredible. And and so yeah, I I feel the same way. I think I think this was good. I think I think there were a lot of churches that and pastors, leaders that needed to be shut down for a period of time and just think and get reconnected with God. And yeah, but I I think that's one of the things I, I've always appreciated um, in, in my time of knowing you is you you've you've been someone that has been really willing to lay down ministry and hasn't found identity in in the the thing you're doing but has found your identity in following Jesus and, yeah. and, and going, well, that, going with you, him. You, 
You said something earlier that you that that answers the question too, and that is, you know, how do you metamorph, you know, morph into this and that? And the reality is, I don't really change. I just I, the message always stays the exact same: the the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, and um, and the no distance, no separation. Uh, John fourteen twenty is a universal, universally mind blowing scripture to every single denomination, Christian denomination out there. And that day you will know I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So exploring the ramifications of that becomes an invitation to more and every denomination uh, I think finds themselves equally perplexed and mystified by that revelation so like I, I pastored at a Presbyterian church for three years um, there was never any watering down of the gospel there it was a hundred percent you know uh, Jesus the Holy Spirit you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, and the whole thing. We saw stage four cancer healing in a Presbyterian church. Uh, we, we had some amazing, amazing things happen over the course of three years there. Uh, two Sundays ago, I was in a United Methodist church here. And this is a United Methodist church that's super, super liberal. And they're, you know, affirming all kinds of different lifestyles. Well, how do you bring the gospel into that, you know, culture if you have, like, maybe some differences in terms of your perspective of... of um, um, you know, biblical values, morality, kingdom ideas, all that stuff. You preach Jesus, you know? I mean, I look at it and I go, everybody deserves the gospel. Everybody deserves, nobody's perspective on on life or right or wrong or sin or whatever, nobody's perspective exempts them from hearing the gospel. So in every situation you go in and you preach the gospel, I just don't change it. You know, I think... Um, one of the questions that I've been asking years and for years is, God, God, give me the language to present the gospel in this environment in a way that will draw people, you know, to an awareness of you, um, that will awaken wonder in people. And, uh, and it happens, you know, whether it's Presbyterian or United Methodist or it doesn't matter what, whatever it happens to be. They, um, there are hungry people everywhere, everywhere. But I, I won't, you know, and, and God bless, you know, movements that have started and whatnot. I get it. But I would never presume to think that God is going to bring revival through a denomination. I, it doesn't matter. Spirit-filled, not. I don't think he's going to bring revival through a denomination. He's not going to bring revival through any means by which a human being can take credit for it. And um, Or organization. Our organization ushered in revival. I mean, we'll, there would be people that contribute to it, but... Nobody has a corner market on the Holy Spirit. Nobody has a corner market on revival. And so he'll show up in whatever manger he wants to show up in, you know. And sometimes I walk into a, you know, what might be considered a dead denominational environment and go, oh, this is a good manger. Or maybe a barn in Canada where like a goat farmer decided to have a revival in his barn and he filled the place up with people. I walk in that barn, I'm shaking my head like, what in the world? Oh, this is a good manger. You know, and you see the glory of God show up everywhere. Um, two Sundays ago, I'm in a mega, or three Sundays ago, I'm in a mega church in in Pennsylvania. The glory of God showed up um, that night. I'm at a an uh, inner city outreach in in, uh, in a large city in in uh, Pennsylvania uh, that they'd never met in before, and there was so much weed in the air. I mean, I think my clothes smelled like skunk weed, you know, until I got home and could put them in a, in a washing machine. The glory of God showed up there too. You know, so it's like, 
I just look around and I go, Jesus shows up everywhere. I mean, he's anywhere that he's lifted up, he shows up and he shows up in power. And so that to me is like, that's the part where I just go, here's, here's the, here's the thing, Ryan, maybe this is for people go, how do you make this practical? And for every minister out there, if you want to find yourself in a place where you, you can speak to any audience, anywhere, anytime, and, and let the gospel go forth. And even in, you know, I, I do this thing called quantum preaching and quantum preaching 101 is this, you love your message and you love your audience. If you love the message and then you love the audience, then you'll be focused on helping people and not impressing people. And that's how you can step into any environment. And I mean, sometimes I just get up and, you know, United Methodist Church, I can judge people, Presbyterian Assembly, God doesn't matter. I can get up and I can judge people based upon a stereotypical perspective or something that they put out there. Or I can look around at this room and I can see sons and daughters of God. I can see people made in his image and likeness, and I can just feel the, the, the heart, the empathy, the love of a father who just wants his kids home. He just wants to dance with his children. And so the, the message becomes an invitation to the dance. And uh, it's amazing. People respond universally. People respond in every environment. There's, there's some kickback here and there. There always will be. Religion always, you know, religion's a demon. It, it will always kick back in some, in some sense. But when there's hunger in the heart, when there's that mustard seed of faith and hunger in the heart of a person to, uh, to preach the purity of the gospel and to exalt Jesus, fans that to flame and people respond in every environment. Doesn't matter where you go. So. Yeah. And one of the things I have to, I have to ask is, um, or, or at least point out is you don't seem to care, uh, about your reputation because most, I think a lot of people would look at some of the things you've, you've done, or even, I know you've done stuff with politicians or you, you prayed before Congress and, you know, speaking at a UMC church that's on the liberal end of the UMC and things like, like, I know that there's people that you've, you've been open to speaking with, uh, or at the same conference of, and things like that, that, um, in a lot, they get you kicked out of other circles, uh, and disowned, but somehow you've, you've managed to do that. Um, and haven't seemed to care about your reputation. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah. Tracy loves to say this phrase. She loves to ask the phrase, where does Jesus not go? You know, where does he, where, you know, where would he not be? You know? And so when a door opens up, you walk through it. Um, a dear friend of mine, Godfrey Bertle, has a has a song on one of his albums, Worship Leader from the UK, and has a song on one of his albums called, um, and it comes from this very conversation. Uh, it's a, and the song is called, Have You Seen Who He Hangs Out With? And it's really all about Jesus. And, you know, that was kind of one of the criticisms of Jesus. Have you seen who this guy hangs out with? You know, and uh, um, as Rich Mullins, I think, wrote in the song, Surely God is With Us, he says, you know, um, the whores all seem to love him and the drunks propose a toast and they say, surely God is with us. You know, it's like something about this guy just made humanity just flock to him unless they were trying to defend their concepts of God. If they, if they were only, if they were convinced of their unworthiness, they could fall in love with Jesus. If they had a concept of God that was being challenged by Jesus, they were willing to kill their own creator to defend their concept. So when I go to a place, I, I'm looking for hunger. Um, the most religious environments are the hardest ones. 
And that's actually why preaching on Sunday morning is one of the hardest things to do. Special meetings on off nights where people don't have to show up and they're there because they want to be there. Yeah. Um, where hunger has drawn a person. It's why conferences are so fun, draws the hungry. And you can get a lot done in that room. The power of God has free reign to, you know, to move in a, an environment like that. Sunday morning when people are just punching a clock, that's tough. So um, there, there's a lot of, there's sometimes a, a bit of a religious barrier you got to punch through to, uh, to, to bring people into an awareness of what's available in the moment. Yeah. But again, you love the message and you love the audience. It, it breaks down any barrier, any wall. That's really good. I love, I love what Tracy said, um, you know, about, you know, who are the ones that Jesus, that, that other people wouldn't go like, let's bring Jesus to them. How, yeah. Like that. And, and I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if it's that I've, I've, um, I've, I've eased up a little bit in my, my, uh, my thirties, but, um, I used to be very much like, <laughs> we're getting know, up there, Ryan. dogmatic about it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, more recently I've just gotten to this place where I'm like, I, I think COVID kind of did this cause there's the pastors who shut everything down and then, mm-hmm. and then there's some that kept everything open and then there's a fight about what was right. What, and I, I just, I finally got to this place. I'm like, I don't think it's a, as cut and dry as that. I think some pastors, they shut down out of fear and others, they shut down because God said to, and I think yeah. some stayed open out of, out of, because God told them to, and others stayed open out of political reasons. And it's like, totally. You know, and I'm getting that that place with everything with just looking at people's it's so easy to look at somebody else's assignment and it doesn't look like ours, so we judge it as wrong or they're doing right. it wrong. And and so you that that phrase from Tracy makes me think of I, I believe it's um it was John Wesley and George Whitfield, where John Wesley was the one I believe he was the one that was speaking in the churches and George Whitfield basically got kicked out of all the churches and ended up having to meet in fields. And it was like God used I believe it's those guys. I might be messing this up, but God used that. God used the fact that one couldn't get, he wasn't accepted in the buildings anymore to meet yeah. the people in the fields, to meet the farmers, meet all the townsfolk that wouldn't come to church and use John to reach the people in the church. And there's just something so beautiful. Cause I, I do think that there's those that like, they have a, a, a strong conviction or a Metron or, or something that it's like, it looks yeah. a certain way. And they, you know, they probably will never speak at a UMC church like that. Uh, but yeah. I, I think it's also equally as beautiful that there would that you would and that you would go and speak and share the gospel to people that you disagree with because that is who the gospel's for. Like it's it's for well, all all humanity. To me, actually, Ryan, this this is and that's a great thing that you would say the the disagree. I used to define uh, unity as agreement, but unity is an agreement. Unity is when you're willing to lay your life down in sacrificial compassion for people that don't agree with you. Yeah. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So unity begins in the heart of one person that is willing to just walk in sacrificial compassion. One mm-hmm. of the things that I love to draw people's attention to in this season, people people are like, what is our posture right now? Um, because so many people are preaching defiance. And and I understand that. I mean, we've, we've, had, we've had wonderful freedoms and people are scared to death we're going to lose them. The nation's changing and um, and it freaks people out. I get that. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear. And, and so this is what I do. I, I, and I feel like you can bring some unity in, in, in terms of perspective to, uh, to the body of Christ through the life of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is an example of somebody who uh, lived a life of radical compassion without compromise. 
And um, you can actually do both. And it's a bit of an art form to do it, but you can do both. So Daniel, of course, you know, uh, the Babylonian captivity, I mean, the amount of people that were killed in that, it's not like the, that Babylon loved yeah. the Jews. They took these people captive. I mean, they, they were oppressed for 70 years. Daniel, he, he's watching his people get not just slaughtered, but their identity is stripped away from them. So Daniel determines he's going to walk without compromise to the gospel, but at the same time, he's going to walk in compassion and honor toward wicked kings. And to honor, by the way, um, you make somebody an idol when you can't confront them anymore. Uh, when they're not correctable, then they become an idol. And for Daniel, that never happened. Daniel was able to correct and to confront these wicked kings, but he did so in honor, and he did so from a posture of genuine affection and compassion without compromise. So, you know, he would say phrases like, O king, live forever. Word to God, this word were for those who hate you or for your enemies and not for you. You know, uh, you know, they throw Daniel in the lion's den. The king comes to peer in the den the next morning and look and go, hey, you still alive in there? O king, live forever, he says, you know, I mean, to the guy who threw him in the den, you know, it's so because of that. And here's this, the key. Because Daniel tapped into learning how to walk in compassion without compromise, he outlasted multiple wicked kings. And, you know, if you uh, look at the history of the Magi, the wise men who came and brought gifts of wealth to Jesus, where they came, they came from the east. Where's that? In the direction of Babylon, what would have been historical Babylon. Who were these people? These were, these were people who had a connection with the supernatural, an awareness of the stars, and an, also a knowledge of the coming of the Messiah. How would they have had that? Daniel would have come into Babylon with the scroll of Isaiah, with the words of the prophet Isaiah from 150 years earlier. And there was a time he was standing before one of the kings, and he literally says, hey, all these sorcerers, magicians, before I tell you the interpretation of the dream, you got to let all these people live. You can't kill, because you know, king's going to kill them all uh, because they can't tell them the, the dream. Daniel fights for their life, and then he gives the word. So he fights for the life of people that I think we would have had religious justification for seeing destroyed. And yet what happens? He, he becomes the most well-known spiritual character in all of Babylon, second in command to the king. So he would have had the level of influence. I mean, any person who had any, any kind of inkling that they wanted to serve a, a real God would have looked at Daniel and said, I'm going to follow you. So what would have Daniel given him? He would have taught him Isaiah. He would have unfolded the reality. There's a Messiah that's coming. Um, keep watch. You know, he's going to come over there. And, you know, so for four centuries after Daniel, these guys are watching the stars. And so by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, Daniel's compassion without compromise seeded and created an environment of supernatural prophets, in a sense, that even the people of God didn't see the, the Messiah coming, but Daniel's followers centuries later, his disciples did. And when they got there, they bankrolled Jesus's exodus to Egypt so he could, you know, be safe and grow, you know, and, and whatnot. So it's literally Daniel's 
compassion without compromise that that facilitated Christ's coming. You sit there and you look at that and you go, oh my goodness, where are we at right now? I feel like God is calling us to, to be a kind of a Daniel generation, live in sacrificial, radical compassion without compromise to the gospel. But I do know this, God will not bless defiant rebellion. He just doesn't do it. And we can, we can actually go against the laws of the land in ways where they're pressing against the things of God. And that may get us thrown in the lion's den, but and that's where we got Daniel. But he never compromised on his compassion, just as he never compromised on his faith. And what I see is compassion has been, been thrown away for the sake of defiance, defiantly defending our faith without compassion, and then wondering why we're getting canceled and people are confused about Jesus. So Daniel's example to me is is the is the uh, the high point of how we walk out of this season um, with the gospel, uh, the sound of the gospel being strengthened. Man, that was like a whole sermon, Ryan. I don't even know what to do with that. I think I've ever actually preached all of that. That's just I'm just thinking out loud. That's so good, man. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that really does bring the balance. Like we're we're experiencing out out here, uh, the craziest government leaders I've ever seen uh, in my my lifetime. I, it's it's like it's like Gotham City. Like it, I I don't get it. Um, yeah, you got you got like you've got a crazy. You got like you're at the you're at the scene. You're like Act Two in the Batman film where everything has gone nuts. Yeah, I mean yeah. we 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 have the ch- the home of the chop and the chaz whatever it is, and we have a a street czar uh, who they're paying like I think it's hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. He's a a former pimp and all this stuff and like it just crazy. Just abs- they're they're teaching transgenderism and all this stuff at this at, at kindergarten on. Um, like it's it's just it's a different world here, and so we actually there's a there's a level of within. Um, within honoring it's interesting because like we honor government leaders we honor all that but also this like our government is founded on a document that's for the people so we actually are are the leaders of the nation is the people so it's a really different different kind of thing it's not just defying a king right um and so we're having to like navigate those waters right now of how do we how do we actually stand up for righteousness and create a, an environment for our family for our our kids to grow up a, a place that that we um, that that Jesus can be known and yeah. that these things don't because it's a I mean it's an like you said antichrist uh, earlier yeah. uh, in the other episode like it's an antichrist spirit and that's yeah. being promoted here and so it is it's walking this like fine fine line um you know being being opposed to something uh may not be the best way to go you know it's like it's actually standing for something and and standing standing in love while also like voting our values and some of those things it's 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 something we're learning daily right now yeah yeah well compassion compassion without compromise in a democratic republic looks like getting involved when the lord directs you to do so and that's what we really need right now is people, people who, who carry just the love and the grace of, of Jesus. I was just texting um, uh, was just texting a leader the other day that everybody in the nation knows because they're in the news a ton right now. And um, a political leader and uh, just uh, somebody I've had a relationship with for a long time now and saying, you know, I believe God, God wants to pour out uh, a revelation of redemption 
but it looks like the redemption just came to mind. It was like, this is the word I got to give. So, you know, just seeding that in, there's something about redemption that, that is really a big deal, you know, because uh, so much of, of what we've, um, we've, we've created in a sense is cancel culture because spiritually we're more powerful than we think. You know, I look at the term cancel culture and, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we invented that. That's been something we've been doing in church for years. And, um, and now we're reaping the benefits of that or the fruit of that, the consequences, I should say. We're reaping the consequences physically and nationally of what we've allowed spiritually within the body of Christ for years. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, it's it, when, when everybody's canceling each other, you're, you're primed to, to preach and release and receive grace because that's what everybody needs. It's the only way to find that place of redemption and reconciled union with the Lord again. You know, now we're basically convincing the entire, you know, everybody's convincing everybody else of their unworthiness. So uh, I really think it's, it's a beautiful time right now for us to, for us to, to, to see the grace of God, just bring, bring a move to this, this nation. And, uh, uh, you know, those, those conversations are things we're having more and more and more these days, what we see coming and some people see bad and, you know, and the negativity sells books, but I, I really see the glory of God filling the earth. I think uh, Hosea two seven and three five is um, is is the last day's message. Nobody ever talks about where God says to Hosea, "In the last days, I'll pour out compassion on those who haven't earned it. I'll say to those people who are not my people, you are my people,' and they will say, "You are my God." And a nation will come trembling to the Lord and His goodness in the last days. So I'm looking for that. That's that's my that's my eschatology, the goodness of God. Yeah. <laughs> When it, it it's the the fact that the enemy has a plan, it's just so sometimes it's easier to to buy into his plan than it is like right now. There's a lot of talk of civil war, and I think right. barring uh, intervention of God and obedience of the people of God, like well, we could see a civil war. That's probably pretty probable. That, but it's it's much easier to prophesy that and believe that than it is to believe that God's goodness. It's kind of it actually is it's really similar to the story of Jonah. You know, Jonah's yeah. being told, go, go tell the, these people to repent. And he knows they will, or he goes to, to pronounce judgment and knows that they will repent. And he doesn't want them to repent because he knows nope. God will have mercy on them. And so he runs away. And it's like, I feel like that that's a lot where a lot of us are in the church is like, we really, we kind of want the punishment. We kind of want things to fall apart and, and all of that, yeah. even though we say we don't. Yeah. Jonah's a fantastic example of a, of a, of a guy who is convinced of the goodness of God and isn't happy about it. <laughs> That's yeah. I feel like I've run into a lot of people like that. It's, you know, <laughs> a lot of people that, you know, like, yeah, I see he's good. Well, I sure wish he wouldn't be. You know? mm. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that kind of speaks to why, and I, and this probably would have been me a few years ago, but like it speaks to why somebody would be upset about you going to a UMC church and preaching the gospel. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, we'd, we'd much rather see them punished, you know, because they're doing things that, you know, aren't, aren't biblical or we don't agree with or whatever, than for them to have a chance to, you know, right. be impacted by an yeah. encounter from God. Well, you know, the crazy thing is whether people are blatant about it or hiding it, <laughs> that stuff exists in every church, every church. You know, um, if, if I have to go to, you know, if I have to go to sin-free churches, 
in order to preach the gospel, you know, I might as well just quit now, cancel all my flights. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, so some, some places just do, do better religiously hiding it than others, you know? Um, but, uh, I think you, you can work a little better with people who are just blatant about it. It's like, yeah, this is where we're at. It's like, okay, if you want to be that vulnerable and transparent, then this is, this is what Jesus says. This is what he does. This is who he is. And this is what he's like. And, uh, you know, in the case of uh, that uh, the UMC church, you know, when people come up to you afterwards and they begin to talk about the impact of what's just been said, or they say things like, I feel like my DNA got completely altered today, you know, or, you know, they're, they're not used to responding in a sense to a, to an invitation to, to just pray, to invite Christ, um, to, to, uh, to be their Lord and Savior, to receive his grace by faith, you know. And then you see them do it and you hear their voices speak it out. And then they come up to you afterwards going, I've never done that before. And I feel different. And you're like, oh, great. I knew I was supposed to be here. This is the environment that, you know, this is, the, this is where the gospel belongs, you know, where people are hungry. And, and the Lord will open up doors for hungry uh, people to hear the gospel anywhere. And I, I still, even now, uh, I spent the last couple of nights uh, listening to a dear friend preach, you know, an offensively good gospel. And I just sat there with my Bible open and taking notes, you know, in a room with a handful of people just soaking it in because I don't like just preaching it. I love hearing it too. And so, you know, I I find myself, the more I talk about the gospel, the more I'm hungry for God, for, for the Lord. And it's not a hunger on the basis of what I'm lacking. It's a basis on the basis of what I realize I have access to. I just want to hear the words of spirit and life come through more and more people. And, you know, that's what I'm often listening for, Ryan, is the sound. You know, people say, you asked a question earlier uh, that I don't want to miss. You know, people say, how do you know you're hearing the voice of God? You know, right now when everything's going on all around you. Jesus said, my words to you are spirit and they are life. Spirit is perceived, in a sense, by discerning the sound of the voice of, of the Lord. You know, the sheep know my voice kind of thing. In other words, my my sheep, in other words, those who are those called by my name, my children, sons and daughters, they vibrate with the resonant frequency of my voice. So I listen for the sound. There's a sound I listen for, and it's deeper than the, the auditory signals. It's a it's a spirit thing. It's something where I walk away, you know, from a conversation, I go, Wow, I feel like I heard the sound of heaven there. And there's something about that. It just, you know, resonates with you. I mean, maybe people hopefully listening to this. That's my prayer is that God, let your sound just resonate through me. I'm not interested in, you know, all the revelation I ever get comes from just humming with the sound of God, knowing that, you know, he wants to speak more than I want to listen. So I keep my ears open. Um, that's what gives me any words to say in conversations like this. I think that's what gives any preacher something to preach, you know, unless they're downloading their sermons online or something. But I'm, you know, I, I don't know how anybody has anything to preach if they're not connected to the resonant frequency of heaven. You know, so spirit and life, that's what I listen for, for the voice of the Lord. I listen for, for the sound, the frequency of heaven on it and uh, um, knowing the voice of your father, you know, and, um, and words of, of life. You know, if I walk away from any, any sermon um, not feeling resurrection power in what I've just heard, in other words, feeling more death than life on it, then I know I haven't heard the gospel. I've just heard the opinions of man, good or bad, doesn't matter. Um, 
I, I don't offer any condemnation for that. I, I think every person preaching wants to tap into something that goes beyond the sounds they can make with their own voice. So uh, it just gives me something to pray toward, you know, that on their journey, that they will come to, to a place of less striving, more surrender. Because that's really where the sound comes from. You stop fighting against it. It's all around us. It's all available to us. And, and, it's, and it's the scriptures. It's anchored in the scriptures and the word of God. So, yeah. I don't know, man. Talking to you, I feel like, I feel like a, a, it's like a river. I usually don't talk this much in these things. But yeah. you, you, you have a tendency to like, you have a tendency to just uncork a bottle here. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. Well, I want to, um, kind of the last thing I wanted to get into with you, uh, not necessarily last thing. If, if it keeps going, we can keep uh-huh. going. Um, uh, well, two things. I did. I want to ask you about uh, your relationship with Ted Decker because I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd like to get into a little bit of your journey with uh, Disney. And oh, Disney, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, Disney first. I've never formally worked for Disney or with Disney or anything. Um, I ended up pastoring the church Disney built uh, or the church built in the town Disney built. Um, and, and so there was that level of connection in a sense, the Disney family gave the land to the church, you know, to, to, to build on. And, uh, didn't, Walt, didn't, uh, Walt Disney, he designed it too, right. For his son-in-law, his son-in-law was a Presbyterian minister or something. Yeah. He didn't design things. the church. He just, he basically said, you know, I want to build a working town and uh, I want to give you a church, you know, um, but his son-in-law never lived long enough to see it happen. That all that was shelved until, uh, uh, until 30 years ago when the, I say 30, it's been not quite that long when the, um, uh, when the town of celebration, Florida was, was built. And, uh, uh yeah, any, anyway, so the church, uh, community Presbyterian church is, is, um, it actually has a plaque on the side, you know, the dedicated to the dream of Walt and Roy Disney and family, the Disney family that, that basically funded the ability for the church to be built as, as they had known it. Um, or as you, as we know it today. So there's a, there's definitely that connection. And I, I find it fascinating. It was, you know, it's, there's a, I could say a lot about that. There's so much controversy about Disney, but here's what I'll say. If, if, if you, if you get around a place that's been created for the purpose of building memories with family, families and stuff, and you take it, you know, from that vantage point, you'll find what you're looking for. If you're looking for all the evil and the darkness and whatnot, you'll find that. But I, I took some worship leaders to Disney one time. Uh, we've taken a lot of, you know, kingdom leaders to Disney. And I took them one night uh, to uh, to the fireworks, big fireworks show at the end. And these are people everybody would know. These people have been in worship legends for years and years. And all they saw, I was so inspired, all they saw everywhere they went was Jesus. And everything, it's like they could not... They could not have been more inspired. I mean, by the end of the fireworks show, hands up, tears roll and everything. It's like, oh, did you see the identity on that? It was amazing. When the guy says, remember who you are, you are more than you would become. I'm thinking, that's it. You will find what you are looking for. So, you know, the Bible says light shines out of the darkness. So um, I I just, I I think it's fun. You know, they, they call it the happiest place on earth. I feel like, I feel like the church needs to adopt that title you know, in, uh, in, in our gatherings, the happiest place on earth with the happiest people on earth. I don't think yeah. that's more people's experience when they go to church, but it should be. 
Uh, Ted Decker. Ted. Um, Wait, Ted's before, one. Yeah. Before you, before you move past that, so you you mentioned I think you mentioned taking Todd White to Disney. Yeah. Well, I I didn't. Uh, my my son did actually. Um, Todd White came to Florida with his family, and um, uh, I think I was off to in a conference, uh, and. Todd and his family went with um, my son basically at the time was working for Disney and he got them into kind of backstage areas where they could meet some of the characters and stuff. They didn't have to stand in line so long. And uh, Todd literally like discerned a physical condition in one of the characters and <laughs> prayed for her and she got healed and started crying and freaked her out. So it was cool. That's awesome, and then but they can't break character, right? So she has no, to... no, they had to stay in character the whole time. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that was so pretty cool. wild. And and can you? So you ended up, a, you ended up at a Presbyterian church, like the guy who's came who had a church that's raining, and you know all the all the glory and miracles and stuff you've seen, and right. and you end up at a Presbyterian church. Can you just briefly share that, like how you even up? Because that whole thing is crazy. I was in Starbucks here in Celebration, and um, I overheard a guy talking about the kingdom of God. And I um, uh, started talking to him and said, man, you're talking about my favorite subject, you know, about the Lord and the kingdom and all that. And uh, that started a conversation and it led to a friendship, which led to me ending up working at the Presbyterian Church, which I never planned on, intended, or even wanted to do. That ended up being a three-year assignment. Um, and, uh, and so now we're back, kind of back reset to where we were before that, you know, and traveling and speaking and doing really what we're called to do. So I didn't, I didn't much care for just sitting in, sitting in an office and, and, uh, you know, being confined to one spot. So, yeah. um, I love, you know, the travel of the travel. I love con connecting with pastors and leaders uh, around the world and, and just, you know, keeping those relationships alive. But it was great. It was an honor to be able to speak into this community. And I think we accomplished, you know, everything we set out to do. So, And they were open to the things of Holy Spirit. I've, I've been there, got to attend. Yeah. And just really incredible. And he had an encounter with Holy Spirit, right? Was it right before yeah. he met you? Something yeah, like he, that? He, had, he was driving down the road and, you know, said, Holy Spirit, fill me. And he starts speaking in tongues. He gets to his driveway and he couldn't get out of the car sat in the car for about an hour speaking in tongues and yeah, Presbyterian pastor. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's available for anybody, you know? And so, so yeah. Beautiful. Cool. Awesome. And then your friendship with Ted Decker, the, for those who don't know, he's a, he's a pretty famous author. Um, is written I primarily in the Christian space circle series, um, yeah. many others. So how, how'd you yeah. get to know him? Ted, uh, Ted is one of my best friends and we connected because my son gave his daughter a prophetic word about their family and Ted heard about it and wanted to find out like, who is, who are these people? How do they know this stuff about us? And, uh, I had never read any of Ted's books. So when I met him, one of the questions he asked was, you know, so what am I, a mind have you read? And I think he thought I was a fan and I was like, you know, honestly, I haven't read anything. I'm really a fiction guy. Um, but you know, I'm sure they're cool. My kids seem to like them, you know? And so it, it was, there was nothing to maintain, um, in terms of like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't some fanboy coming into the, to the mix, 
but God just gave him, gave me a love for him and, and him a love for me. And we started connecting on what the Lord was saying and speaking to both of us. And, uh, and after a few years of that, out of that friendship and just walking, walking that out, um, walking out where the Lord was taking us, the journey he was taking us on of challenging us with his goodness, uh, and, and identity, it's a big deal. Uh, we ended up writing a book called the forgotten way that, uh, uh, probably one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on, probably ever will work on is the Forgotten Way is really, really special to me. And it offended a lot of people because it was writ- wasn't written for a church audience. It was written for a new age audience. And it was written for kind of the fringe um, deconstructing Christian and the new age believer who is, was, you know, uh, knew there's something more, but hadn't quite settled on what it is. And so we wrote it in that language, and uh, it's called the Forgotten Way: the path, the path, the power, and the path of Yeshua to power and peace in this life. So it was really provocative to a particular kind of audience. And when pastors and churches got a hold of it, they freak out a little bit. And I couldn't tell you why. I I thought everything written in it was wonderful and beautiful, but um, but it, it did seem to freak some people out a bit. And so. Uh, uh, we, we wrote a, I wrote a study guide for it. Ted and I collaborated on the main book, wrote the study guide. We went out to Bethel to film all the videos for it. They were super gracious to let us come out and do that. And, um, yeah, it was just a, it was a great experience all the way around. I love doing it. We, uh, he, Ted and I remain friends to this day. We're just, um, we're just, uh, I don't know. We just, you know, we'll, we'll, I think we'll always have this, this deep, deep connection we get on the phone. It's just hours and hours of talking about the things of the spirit that are just. Hmm. I, I get off the phone and Ted makes my head swim. Like you know, I, I have to I have to go and be quiet for about an hour or two after I get done talking with Ted because he's just that way. And uh, uh, I, we we traveled for about a year doing conferences, forgotten way events and conferences around the United States, and. Uh, I mean, they were packed out and they were tons of fun, but I always had this, he doesn't like public speaking. He's phenomenally good at it, but he doesn't like doing it. And I think at the height of the, um, the height of that year was we were in front of, he was, he was up speaking in front of a crowd of 30,000 people and, uh, here in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, you know, in the front. And I've got this knot in the pit of my stomach because if you know Ted, you know he could say anything at any moment. And kicking a hornet's nest, he would play soccer with a hornet's nest. He just didn't care about <laughs> stepping in it all day long. And, uh, um, you know, if he could make you squirm while he was talking, I, I feel like he was, you know, amusing himself. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing tons of pastors and leaders and I know what Ted is saying. It, this could go bad at any moment, but it was, it ended up being absolutely beautiful. But that was, that was just the way it was working with Ted. You never knew what you were going to get. And, uh, um, but I tell, I tell you a fun story. I, we were, we were down uh, at a meeting one time and, um, Ted gets up and he said all kinds of things about, you know, you know, you guys don't. You guys say you believe the Bible. You don't believe the Bible. And you'd like quote a bunch of scriptures that people are just like, whoa, I don't even know what to do with that. You know, that just unveil the goodness of God. And you could see people just like putting up walls left and right. And he's just knocking them down, knocking them down. 
at the end, the altar is packed with people. And there's a little girl down on the floor that has Down syndrome. And Ted, people are wanting to, Ted to sign books. They're wanting to talk to us, have prayer with us and whatever. I find myself with a line of people a mile deep in front of me. Where's Ted? He is down on the floor playing toys with this little girl. And he stayed down there until everybody gave up and left. And uh, I'll never forget that. I mean, she and he had like this connection. And and it wasn't faking. He wasn't, he wasn't doing anything just weird for the sake of being weird. He literally looked down at her and he just fell in love with this kid. And next thing you know, he's down on the floor and he's playing with this little Down syndrome girl while everybody's standing around with their pens and their books waiting for him to give autographs. And then they finally gave up and left. And <laughs> it was just like, that was, that was Ted. That's the way it, that's the way it was. So, that's so we did that for a year and he gets done at the end of the year and goes, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I'm like, all right. So now he lives in the mountains and he's a recluse. It <laughs> sounds about right. Uh, so I don't know if you can actually talk about this, but he, did he come have an encounter with God before meeting you or was that after meeting you with, yeah, no, did he, he go to end up at Bethel and he was a missionary's kid to Indonesia. His, his, uh, if you read the book outlaw, that's, that's kind of a loose, loosely knit version of his story. And the first 54 pages of the forgotten way are Ted raw telling his story about, you know, growing up in a minister's house, you know, evangelical, you know, standard Bible believing, you know, people, and then going to a boarding school at the age of six, because that's what you did on the mission field back then. You send your kids away as soon as they were able to be of school age, parents would send their kids away. And, and while he's in this boarding school, one of the first things they tell you is the story of Abraham sacrificing his son. Right. And that was the deal. Your parents are so devoted to God, they're willing to sacrifice, you know, so that so they, they can, you know, give the gospel to these people. And he said, well, you know, I get what they were trying to say. He said, but my six year old mind, my first my first invitation or revelation of my relationship with God is I'm a human sacrifice from my parents to this God. So, wow. you know, it went wrong from day one for Ted. Uh, matter of fact, um, if you ever read The Shack, William Paul Young's book, and you ever hear him tell his story, he was a he, he and Ted are about the same age, and he was a missionary's kid uh, in Indonesia, one valley over, and had the exact same experience. So, um, yeah, so Ted came out of that, and essentially in a search for his father, Heavenly Father, like, who is God? It, it, you know, and it wasn't an issue of not believing in God, but he was a street preacher. He's soul winner out on the street trying to share the gospel with people and then uh went to bible college at uh went to an assembly of god bible college because that's what missionary kids had very limited options of what they could go to that would you know basically take them in and in uh in their the bible ag bible college there in springfield missouri pretty well you know decided you know uh, I'm, I'm going to have a completely different perspective of God than everybody else and started writing, writing stories. And the first one he wrote was, I think, Blessed Child and Bill Bright from Campus Crusade for Christ. Loved it, picked it up. And, and, uh, and it was all about healing and supernatural and stuff. And uh, uh, it was either Heaven Wa Heaven's Wager or Blessed Child is the first book that Ted ever wrote. And it blew his career 
through the roof. And from that point on, it's like every publisher, Christian publisher was just coming knocking on the door. And then he wrote the Circle series and sold 10 million copies of those. So, you know, he was kind of off to the races. But here, here was Ted's thing is that he, and that's what I love, I so love this about him. He never hid his journey. He wrote his journey, even the dark portions of his journey. And he wrote himself seeking and searching and and answering his own questions. And I think that's what resonated with people. They, they, they looked at a guy who didn't have all the answers. He had all the right questions and, uh, and wrote brilliant and sometimes terrifying stories surrounding those questions. So, uh, you know, my daughter, uh, for example, wrote one, read one of his books and credits. I mean, she grew up with a fair amount of anxiety. And when she wrote this, read this book of his, um, I think it's the paradise novels books. I, I haven't read them, but she read these books and it broke fear off of her life. And she literally came out of reading a novel, a fearless person, you know, so fear lost its power over her through a novel, you know, so God has used Ted to bring people to a tremendous amount of freedom, um, to unveil Jesus. Ted's, I, if people have ever read Ted's books, I would highly, highly recommend two books. I was intimately a part of um, besides the forgotten way or two novels called AD 30 and AD 33. And it's uh, Ted's uh, two, two experiences in writing specifically about the life of Jesus. And they are brilliant. They're just amazing. It'll, you'll walk away with a completely different, whatever you come into it with, you'll walk away with a completely different perspective of Jesus, but a better one, healthier. And totally, you know, Christocentric. It's biblical based. So, cool stuff. It's so good. Yeah, and isn't I might be remembering this wrong, but didn't he go? Wasn't there something with him going to Bethel and like getting a perfect word that kind of unlocked even some of his writing? Something about like his writing. He was actually writing things about heaven that he didn't even understand at the time, and it like he thought it was just kind of fantasy and creativity. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, so when I first when I first met Ted, we sat down to visit, and he was really interested in like hearing from God, right? So um, the story you're talking about, the first time I remember something like that happening was in his office. And, uh, we kind of, I kind of went into this exercise, sort of an activation about, you know, hearing the voice of the Lord. And he had this visceral reaction, I mean, tears flow and everything. And, and he had an encounter with Jesus in this simple exercise where Jesus put a pen in his hand and told him what to write. And that became AD 30 and AD 33. So, um, he was invited, Chris Ballatin came to our church, introduced him to Ted he invited Ted to come out and do a writer's conference out of Bethel. So Ted and I went out, we spent, actually we spent some, before we ever did the writer's conference, we spent some time with Chris out there, just went out and had dinner at his house, spent some time hanging out there. And in the process of it, Judy Franklin, who was Bill's assistant at the time, uh, uh, sends me a message and says, I want to, I want, I want to meet Ted. And uh, so, and she said, the circle series really played a major part in awakening her awareness of what was possible in terms of the supernatural power of God. Um, Cause you know, the circle series just was all about that. Uh, and so, uh, so we arranged that. And when Ted and Judy sat down, they became fast friends 
And I think she, I think she dropped a word on him that really, really resonated strongly with him. Then we were over Chris's and Chris did the same thing, really dropped a, a, a very, very powerful, very personal word on Ted. that was just, it just really, really great. And, you know, friendships and relationships formed about around that. And, and then he came out and spoke at the writers conference out there that year. And it was, I mean, it was really fun. It was just, it was fun to watch, watch him shine in that environment. I, probably my favorite time of ministering, you know, uh, with Ted was, was uh, the time we went out there to Bethel for that writer's conference. Cause, cause um, just watching how he made people uncomfortable and then, and then put them just at a place of total ease. It was really fun. <laughs> Look up if you go 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 on YouTube and look up uh, Bill Vanderbush Ted Decker and just listen. We're there's a couple of places on there where you can capture catch some of the uh, the videos from that time and uh, and they're fun to listen to. You might your eyes might go whoa what are you guys talking about? But <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look that up. I've never seen those. I was going to ask, are those available? And so there are some out there. Yeah, yeah, there are, there are a few out there. I think most churches that we spoke in opted not to put publicly the sessions that we did, but there are a few where they are. So, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I, I get it, but at the same time, like, yeah. yeah. Well, and part of it, and honestly, part of it, it's not that we said anything stupid or controversial or like, oh my gosh, that's shocking. Part of it was, um, I think part of it was just, you know, Ted, Ted always wanted to re really protect his brand as a novel writer. He, he didn't want to be anybody's spiritual guru. It was mm -hmm. never the point. And so anything that would, you know, people were coming to him for spiritual advice, flooding him with, it's like, you know, can you pray for me? Can you give me a prophetic word? And it's like, you know, and so for a time he was kind of the, he became, he spoke at one of George and Banoff's Supernatural Life conferences. I brought him with me and he, we did a session together. Um, yeah, it was really, it, it was, it, you know, people are always looking for the latest spiritual guru and, uh, Ted could easily yeah. become that because his language is so, uh, provocative toward the things of the spirit and the, and just conscious awareness of the presence of God. But he, he, um, he wanted to just maintain his brand as a storyteller. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of those videos aren't out there, but there's a few worth watching. Hmm. Awesome. Well, um, we're going to land this. Um, I, I want to encourage people, how, how can they find, so, so Bill actually has this, uh, has a podcast. Um, I think essentially you have two, right? Or at least you're on the, you're on the radio doing the Bible study and then. Yeah, I do a Bible study. It's uh, called Faith Mountain Ministries. It was my dad's ministry and I keep the same name just to honor, you know, his memory and what he, you know, the ground that he plowed for years years and years. And, um, and so that, that podcast is, it's very evangelical in terms of it's just Bible based and inviting people just to receive the grace of God. So most of the time there's some level of an invitation to accept Christ, receive Christ in that, um, you know, that, that just always remains, you know? And so the other one is called the reckless grace podcast and reckless grace is uh, a lot of stories. Uh, like the last one is called the spooky and spectacular supernatural life and do that for the month of October just because everybody's kind of in the mood for weirdness during the month of October. So Tracy and I basically sat down for, for a while and it just told some of the weirdest stories that have ever happened to us and some of the weirdest things we've ever seen. And, um, 
and so that's that podcast and um yeah those those are available out there people can go to to for any other resource they go to uh, billvanderbush.com just my name.com and um, we've got a number of downloadable teachings on there there's a 24-hour teaching on identity called project 24 there's a 12-hour teaching on spiritual warfare Uh, i think some of that was actually recorded at the conference i met you at Um, i call it spiritual joy fair that's kind of fun. Uh, there is a 10-hour teaching on the book of Revelation from a New Covenant perspective. That's on there. Uh, I just released, like a week ago, an 8-hour teaching on the tabernacle in the wilderness, the wilderness tabernacle. And uh, and I'm really excited about that one. I'm getting a ton of great feedback on that one. Uh, the tabernacle is um, is an invitation to intimacy with God. If you look at it from a new covenant perspective, the tabernacle is in the shape of a cross, but more accurately, it's in the shape of a body. And you enter through the feet, which is our humanity, and you're heading to the head, which is um, which is Christ. And so, as you pass through the various stages, you begin to realize, oh my goodness, like we are literally walking through a body, a human body, almost like like a like a map of a human body. And then you get to Paul's revelation, you know, in uh, uh, Corinthians, that we are the temple. Your body is literally a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you realize you are, the tabernacle was basically a revelation of you and, and me and unveiled the totality of what Christ accomplished and uh, the the absolute merger of the divinity of Christ and the humanity of man. And um, and, and, it's, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a great, great study. So uh, a little different than most tabernacle studies, I think, that I've, I've ever seen or heard. So those are all available. There's a bunch of free resources out there. There's some you, you pay for. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a thing called the Quantum Preaching Masterclass for anybody who feels like they're called to preach the gospel. And they're like, I just, I just want to learn how to become a you know, revelator of the word of God and, and of the things of God and be able to stand up in front of a wide variety of audiences and just share the gospel with confidence, boldness, and grace. Um, the quantum preaching masterclass is, 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 um, is a, a good, it's a really, really good tool. It's an online e-course that's 30 lessons long. And, um, for anybody who's listening to, to, uh, the fire podcast here, for those of you who listen to this, if you want to jump on that, go to quantumpreaching.com. And, uh, and when you go to order it, if you click in the code VIP in all caps, VIP, you'll get like 60% off of the course. So. That's a gift to anybody who's watching or listening to this. So, um, yeah, and there's a lot of books out there as well. Reckless Grace and The Four People You Marry and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, Yeah, I, I, I want to give a, an extra shout out to your to your podcast. Um, you did you did the episode with Britain, who I know I've gotten yeah. to spend some time with. And um, I think that you essentially... Uh, what, what's the name of that podcast? It's uh, when you have a child that it's off. Yeah, the podcast was called Off the Rails. Off the Rails. What, what happens when you you know you have somebody you know you, and not just a child but somebody you care deeply about who you're connected to in life and they decide they want to just jettison their old belief system and they want to lay hold of something completely different and um, you know they're off searching and whatever. What, what do you what do you do with that and uh, yeah, that podcast, you know, Ryan, it was one of those podcasts where you just, I just kind of got into a place of listening 
And so I let him do most of the talking in the podcast and I ask questions and we both learned a lot in that podcast, um, hmm. process some things we'd never actually processed before. And the cool part about it is, I mean, I felt he said a lot of things in, in the podcast I completely didn't agree with. And I, I really half expected the people at Cruzma to call up and go, this isn't working out. We're canceling your podcast. <laughs> but, um, well, you know what I did get is I got a lot of response from the children of ministers who said things like, I wish I could have this conversation with my dad and minister wow. pastors or leaders, you know, where of kids who've kind of gone off, you know, the rails or whatever. And, and have said, you know, I don't know how to do this. I need to learn how to do this, to, to have, to have this kind of a conversation where you definitely know there is so much love between a father and a son, even though they don't agree, you don't see it from the same mm -hmm. angle. And um, yeah. rather than letting it become infuriating, you know, you're literally really willing to honor one, one another and walk alongside of one another in this way. So he's 27. He makes video games and he's, he's in, he makes video games. So he's, he's a, a video like game legitimate video games. Mainstream yeah, video he, games. he works for Sony PlayStation. His last thing, he just came off working for Activision. He uh, worked on the last Call of Duty. Now he's back with Sony working on what he says is the best project he's ever done. And he's done some good ones. So, um, so yeah, he's, yeah. he's living, he's living his best life and, um, I'm really proud of him. And, uh, but yeah, I was, I was super glad that, that he agreed to do the podcast. I actually asked him if he wanted to, and he said, sure. So he shared it with a bunch of his friends. You know, there, it was, a, I would say it's a good example of compassion without compromise. Hmm. So. Yeah, and and that's that's what I wanted to say about it is I feel like it, you uh, you were discipling people in how to have that conversation by allowing them to witness it because it was a conversation that could have been volatile, it could have been uh, more awkward than than the disagreement was, um, but it, yeah, it was it was there was just so much love and mutual respect in the midst of both of you very much saying opposite things at times. Um, but also just like, it was really cool to hear. I think one of my favorite points is actually when he was talking about a time that you went to discipline him at the church, which we'll just, we'll tease this a little bit. People can go listen to it. But like the way that he was so gracious towards you in the midst of that and, and like was honest about it, but like really gracious towards you as a parent. I was just like, it's just so obvious. And I've, I mean, I've seen, I've literally stayed at your house and seen you with your kids and um, seeing what kind of dad you are. But it was, it was just cool to, that that came through in the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. That so. was a, that was a wild moment. That was, that was, a, that was, there was not planned to, to come out on that podcast. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure why it exactly did, but then when we started talking about that particular story and then he remembered it, whew, wow. Hmm. You know, <laughs> and he, and yeah. he goes, he says, you're kind of insane. <laughs> like, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I was in my 20s. I didn't know how to discipline anything, including yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. So you guys go go and check out the Reckless Grace podcast. Um, it's incredible. All of his books, all of his resources. I think uh, you've heard it throughout this. I don't know how many scriptures uh, you've quoted, but our, as an audience, you guys have heard, he, he, he knows the word and he's such a good teacher and pulls out revelation and things that, um, 
I feel like a lot of times you say stuff that I'm like, oh my gosh, how have I never seen that? That was, that's like clearly there. And that's, you're just such a, a, a good teacher in that, that aspect. So his, his teachings will bless you. Um, I, I had access at one point, uh, you gave me access to a Dropbox full of, of your, your teaching. And I went through, through those and, um, it's had a big impact on me. So Bill, thank wow. you so much. You've that's been awesome. You went through some of those and we're still friends. That's, uh, that's something, <laughs> man. You're, you're, a man of grace. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I've only written a couple, a uh, couple blogs. Put you on the Wolf Watch, um, but other than that, we're still friends. So <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't seem to make all. You know, here's the crazy thing. I can't seem to make the Heresy Hunters, you know, top ten list. Uh, I, and I've been working at it. But uh, as one guy told me, he says you use too much scripture, and it's really hard to refute <laughs> scripture. You know, you can refute opinion all day long, but you can't refute. Mm-hmm scripture so no i i i'm linked in a thousand percent to the bible my bible collection is is insane and uh yeah i i i don't know i just i live and breathe um the word of god and I, that's what we need and one of the one of the marks of revival and reformation is a is a renewed uh hunger for the scriptures in a big way so yeah yeah awesome well the, the last question I ask all my guests is if all of humanity was listening to you right now, and I purposely don't, uh, I want to hear from your heart, so I purposely don't prep you with this, but um, mm. you can just take a, a, a couple of minutes, however long you want to really, but um, if all of humanity was listening to this right now, can you speak to them, speak from your heart, and, and what what's your message to them? Oh my goodness, yeah, I would say, I would say you are one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he did that. That is the revelation of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And uh, it's the mystery of the ages. Everything is, is wrapped up in Christ. And the, the reality of the finished work of the cross and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, it's for everybody. It is the power of the gospel for every single person. And I think most of the time, a person who hears that and goes, well, that's a great idea. I wish I could experience that, but you don't know where I've been usually talking out of that place of pain. And if that's you, I'd say, listen, um, however you got into the chains of bondage you're in, that's not the point. Jesus starts his message out, his ministry out, Luke 4, 18, Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He says, he's anointed me to proclaim liberty and freedom to captives and prisoners. And those two groups of people are really important. Captives are in chains because of what somebody else has done. Uh, prisoners are in chains because of what they have done. And I think our 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 perspective of justice is let's loose the captives, but the prisoners have to do the time. And Jesus, you know, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Um, Isaiah said that he would be called a wonderful God, mighty, uh, mighty counselor, uh, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Um, so Jesus is putting the Father on display and he looks at humanity and he sees us in chains, chains of sin, chains of false identities, chains of our past failures and regrets, chains of guilt and shame. And Jesus looks at us and goes, look, I see you in chains. I get it. Some of you are in chains because of what some other, somebody else has done. Some of you are in chains because of what you've done. Here's my word to both of you. Freedom, liberty. And that's it. He wants every, every one of us free. And so I just speak that freedom and that grace over you today. I just say the grace of God belongs to you. Receive the grace of God by faith. Just receive it by faith, just like you receive anything else from God, not through striving, but through surrender. 
and even right now listening to the podcast just from your heart just say if this if this is burning within you and you're like yes because that's all salvation is it's just you saying yes to his yes and uh, it completes the circle in a sense it, it's like a wedding ceremony where where somebody says i do and you just say i do back and so i just say right now you know no matter how long you've studied the things of god if you have a hunger for more or if this is your very first time in hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and something's stirring inside of you and you don't know what it is, it doesn't matter, novice or pro, say yes all the way around. And uh, your yes uh, to the Lord is, is the most important yes you will ever make. Your yes doesn't save you. Your yes just surrenders to what he's already said yes to. And uh, he said yes to you. So I just say, you know, let the yes of your heart say, yes, Jesus, I just received your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive a baptism of your blood to cleanse me completely from all sin, from all regret, from all guilt, from all shame, from all judgment, from all punishment, from all fear, from all unhealthy fear. And, you know, I believe right now, you know, the spirit of adoption is coming alive in some of you. Uh, a revelation of the Holy Spirit that affirms to you your adoption, your sonship, that you're a son, a child, a daughter of, of a very good dad who uh, who is inviting you to a dance of intimacy with his heart. And so uh, I just bless your journey. I bless the journey that all of you are going to be going on. For those of you who've gone through the season of de deconstruction, I just see the Lord reaching down and taking the sledgehammer out of your hand. He's been sledging religion, angry, and upset maybe at the hurts that you've experienced in the church or whatnot or the teaching that you had in the past that didn't reveal to you the goodness of god i just believe right now the lord's taking the sledgehammer out of your hand he's replacing it with a framing hammer he's asking you what are you going to build and uh and so i just speak the release of, of just a, a fresh season of of building revivalists that are going to uh uh let people speak into your life and give you the skill set that you need in order to build what God wants to build in this next generation through you. So I just bless you. Grace, grace, grace to you in Jesus name. Is that good enough, Ryan? Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> so good. Ooh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, what's funny is because uh, this ministry mm -hmm. is called the fire movement. Um, fire movement is the, uh, it's a financial thing. It's financially independent, retiring early, which I didn't know when I picked that name. Uh, so we get a lot of those people who are, who think that our ministry or they reach out thinking that like we do some kind of financial club or training on, you know, uh, becoming financially independent and being able to retire. So, uh, they might stumble upon this. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yep. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on for everyone else. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. You know someone who needs to hear what Bill talked about today. So be sure to share this with your friends, share it with your, your family, share it on your social media. Uh, that will help get the word out. Also, if, if this podcast impacted you in any way, um, would you consider donating uh, some support towards what we're doing? You can do that by going to firemovement.com support. You can do a one-time or monthly gift. Uh, also, share testimonies with us. Share how this has impacted you. Um, we would love to hear from you. So you can do that by going uh, to firemovement.com or you can also go on Instagram and direct message uh, direct message us on Instagram. It's 
at Encounter Fire is our Instagram handle, Encounter Fire. Um, and there you'll be able to message us and I will get back to you. So until next time, this has been the Fire Podcast. <laughs>